Mark part 36. We are going through this really fast, aren't we? Almost like getting a nosebleed. We're going so fast. You know, it does go quickly. We, we do, mostly from the Gospel of John, we're not completely sure. We do think that Jesus' ministry was around three and a half years. Um, that's not something we're completely sure of. But uh, it, it, the timeline, you know, as it goes through, especially in Mark, it just goes really fast and then just slows way down at the last week. And that's kind of where we are now. We spent a lot of time in chapter 14 just because it's really long. Uh, but uh, going to chapter 15 today, again, remember, this is, this is we've talked about it a lot at the welcome and, 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 uh, and Aaron's prayer and in our songs that this is how what grace looks like. Um, and it, and it, it takes some time to, to understand. And, and I encourage you uh, to continue to read these Gospels, continue to read obviously all of the Bible to try to get to know him better because you'll, you'll find things that you did not see before depending on where you are and your soul and your heart and your connection to God. And just it's, it is the way to get to know him best. Um, it's where God has worked. I guess I kind of look at it as like a gym, uh, just a wonderful, perfect gym. And we just, you know, a sermon is just kind of turning a little bit to have you look at it just a little bit different. Uh, or maybe see it a little bit more clearly, or maybe a little bit more brilliantly. But it's this is where the brilliance comes, when the great <coughs> excuse me the grace gets worked out. So, verses one through five, um, we get a new character that we've heard about a little bit. Um, and as soon as it was morning, remember the chief priest had taken him to Caiaphas's house, and we know from other gospels it's been Annas's house back to Caiaphas's house, but they held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. So this next morning, uh, after the consultation, the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Jewish, uh, 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 Jerusalem Jewish leadership, they, they decide to take Jesus to Pilate, who's the Roman procurator, as we call it. Uh, we probably use the word governor. A uh, uh, lot of history there. Give you just a real smidget. You know, Herod was the king or the ruler of you know Galilee and and up north, um, uh, one of Herod's sons uh, did not do a very good job in uh, in the uh, after Herod the Great had died, um, and so Rome eventually put in their own guy, and at this time it's Pilate. And it's kind of fun. You can go back to Roman historians, and Pilate just happened to be the governor of of uh, Judea during the time, uh, this time. So it's nice when it li things line up, and they uh, usually do. It's interesting. You'll see things, and you don't see it quite as much because after you get bit a number of times, you tend to stay away from the dog, right? Um, over the last century, you'd get these secular scholars, well, we don't have any evidence of Moses. And then we find evidence of Moses, and then they like, oops. And then we don't we don't know David even existed. We don't. Oops, we found that too. And it just keeps coming. And it's like you know, I think the Bible will stand up on its own and, and to the scrutiny that's there. Um, so why are they bringing him to Pilate? Uh, well, their main accusation is sedition. 
which isn't a word we use a lot, at least I don't. Um, it's conduct or speech inciting people to rebel against the authority of a state. So they're saying that he's kind of a revolutionary. Uh, that's what they're saying he's doing. Um, and remember, Pilate would have been in a different place. I mean, this is our, our handy-dandy map. Um, remember the Garden of Gethsemane? He's come down here that night to the house of Caiaphas. And this Antonia Fortress is where uh, Pilate would have been. And look where that's located. It overlooks the temple. Why do you think they put it there? Because if there's going to be a problem, it almost always happens in here. <laughs> and, and so it's a good place to be. Uh, it's kind of, I, I don't think, and you get some pools here. You got the Pool of Siloam, which is down here, kind of a John 9 thing, which was a pool that people went to. It was kind of a Jewish pool. Um, then you got the Pool of Bethesda up here, and that one's probably more of a pagan pool. Uh, you can read John 5. Uh, uh, if you want to look, uh, Jesus kind of sneaks in there and sneaks back out, uh, you know, because we think it might have been a pool of Asclepius. It was supposed to be a healing pool to pagan deities, you know, so most Jews didn't hang out there much. But this is where, you know, he goes around. He's going to, you know, if you can see, this is where we think Golgotha is, just outside the walls. He'll eventually get there. Um, actually, chronologically, not very long, but textually, it'll take a little while. We're, we'll get there, but it, it'll, it'll take a bit of time. Now, from Luke, we get the specific charges. They said he was subverting the nation. They said he's opposing paying taxes to Caesar and claims to be the king. Um, not really, but some of that's partially true. Uh, it's the, what do they say in the trial? You know, you're supposed to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Um, well, they got partial truths here. That's all we can get. So the night trial didn't give any evidence of sedition. I mean, there's just nothing there. Uh, but blasphemy is what they really thought he was doing. He was claiming to be the Messiah and maybe even claiming to be deity. Uh, well, he was. They, they were trying to understand that, which is hard. I mean, that would be hard, wouldn't it? You're a Jew, and you're, this guy comes in, and he says, hey, I'm God. Really? You're God? You know, you better prove it. Well, he kept doing it. Um, you know, a really good way to prove that your God is not stay dead. Yeah, he did that eventually. So, you know, this is not a charge Rome would care about. They don't give a rip whether you think he, you know, as long as you don't cause any problems, you can think you're whoever you want, you know. I mean, even in our own culture, if somebody thinks they're God, I guess that's okay as long as they don't push it on you. Right? What do we do with people who think they're God? We usually put them in a padded cell or something, don't we? And probably should. Um, but, but sedition, oh, we're okay. You're trying to incite riots. Well, we don't like that. Rome was an interesting empire at this time. They were pretty, let you pr pretty much worship freely if you just didn't cause any problems. Um, that, got, that changed by the time you get to some of the letters, um, the, the even in the first part of the book of Revelation and the seven churches, you start seeing what we call emperor worship show up. Uh, this, is this was not something that was big at this time. Um, so it became harder to be a Christian uh, or Jew uh, because they wouldn't do that. But, but uh, here, you know, as long as you just stay in your lane, they didn't really bother you too much. But if you're going to incite riots... Say you're the king and not Caesar? 
And that caused problems eventually. You, you know what the main thing that they said that believers would say when they were believers? You know, Jesus is Lord. Well, who's supposed to be Lord? Caesar. So you, now you got a problem. And that's why a lot of Christians didn't make it very far. So this is kind of where we are with this. And isn't it ironic that Jesus with the very thing he didn't do? You know, it seems like a lot of people wanted him to, to, to whoop the Romans and take over the kingdom and get rid of all this stuff. And we get the new, get Israel back and all this kind of stuff. And they wanted him to lead a revolution against Rome, at least even some of his own followers. And that's the only thing he didn't do, and that's what they charge him with. It's just kind of ironic, isn't it? And Jesus' answer to Pilate in verse 2 is qualified, obviously, a king. And remember, Mark is usually pretty succinct, and he is here too. If you want to really find out more, what's really cool is we've got the, back to our little gym, you, you know, Matthew kind of gives you this view, and Mark gives you this view, and John gives you this view. It's still the same thing. And John gives us a little bit more of this conversation with Pilate. Uh, Jesus answers him, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. And in that case, that would be the Judean leadership. But my kingdom is not from the world. Now, be careful with this. People have say, well, then we just don't worry about the world. Don't get into politics. Don't get in because, you know, we're above the world. Well, first of all, that's just cocky. Uh, it's not humble. Uh, but it, this is about origin. My kingdom is not of this. It's not, it's not coming from you guys. It's coming from above. Um, it's more important than you guys. You might not like that. Uh, but think about the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, may your name be holy. May your kingdom come. Just up there, though. Keep it all up there. It's not of the world, right? And it's the exact opposite, you know? My kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you're, the kingdom might not be of the world, but it's supposed to change the world. But not the way people thought. Um, isn't it nice to have all this information in the Bible and we can get this figured out? Because this, this would be hard if you were on the other side of this. Wait till we get to some of the disciples. We already had Peter's denial last week. Um, I don't know what I would do. I know what you would do. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, wouldn't that be hard? I mean, just, you just, I mean, we can look and gaze the cross shadow and look at history that way, but they, they didn't have that yet. And so it's again, they, what, what does Peter do? It's kind of what we talked about at the, at the welcome. He just, he just focuses on Jesus. He doesn't understand it, but he's not going to give up. Jesus didn't give up on him, and he doesn't give up on Jesus. And Pilate, you know, he comes back, and uh, Pilate's kind of an interesting character in the Bible. Um, doesn't come off as bad as one would think. Um, so you're a king. Now, that might be sarcastic, because think about what Jesus would probably have. He's probably been bound. He didn't have any armor, no sword, no spear. You're a king? You say that I am a king, which is a pretty much the line we get here. You said so. Uh, you know, that's, uh, John expands on it. 
For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Now, this is good. Somebody asked you, what was the purpose Jesus came into the world? Wouldn't it be good to know the answer? You're going to get it. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Now, you got to unpack it, and we won't go too far with it because we're, we're, we're going through Mark, not John. Uh, but uh, truth, you know, and, and at right after this, you get that. There's books been written about this. It's the Latin term, quid es veritas. It's like, what is truth? You know, it kind of just passes it away. Well, that's important. You want to know what is true. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily math theorems or you know, who won the 1986 Super Bowl? We all know it's Bears. But uh, that's true, but that's not the truth he's talking about, right? He's talking about the truth that matters, the truth about eternity, the truth about who we are and who God is and what our purpose is. Truth. Because if you don't, if none of this is true, you know, you get that out there. People say, well, yeah, you know, the Bible, I mean, it, it's got errors in it, which still haven't found one yet. Um, and, it, you know, it just kind of gives us a feeling of stuff. And it's like, well, that might make you feel good, but that's just mamby-pamby. I mean, nobody likes that. You really going to put your eternal life on a maybe? Really? Don't you want to know what it is? If this is not true, then you all should go home, right? Or find somewhere else to worship and find the true truth, as Francis Schaeffer would have put it. I, I, I hesitate, but no, I don't hesitate because... You know, I do care what you think, but not that much. Um, I remember when we were, when I got the first church in Keokuk, that, that right then came these, the, and you guys will know this, came these books, and kids started reading more. And if you, do you remember what the book series was? Harry Potter. Or as they say in the movies, Harry Potter. Let's say with the Potter, you know. Um, and the ki my kids started to read them, so, you know, I was, you know, being a good dad or at least an adequate dad. I read them, too. It's like, what's in here? Now, I'm not saying they're perfect. That's not the point. Um, J.K. Rowling has a, some sort of a theistic belief. But one thing I noticed in the books was a quote in the very first one. I don't know if you know much about it. You know, if you want to read it, read it. There's movies. You know, read the book, whatever you want to do. If you're going to, you know, I suppose I should say read the Bible first. You have to say that. Disclaimer. You know, uh, but but there's there's absolute in here, and there's a time when this bad guy, who's uh, the Voldemort guy, and Harry, who's kind of the, you know, not perfect by Jesus, but he's kind of the you know the savior figure to some. It's it's an allegory. It's it's a book, um, but uh, there's a line in there that made me. I thought of that when I was looking through this again uh, yesterday. Voldemort, who's the evil one clearly evil, says, there is no good or evil, only power. And I think that makes some sense even biblically. I mean, maybe she got it from them. Maybe she got it from this verse. I don't know. But if you take away truth, all you have left is power. And that is scary, depending on who has the power. <laughs> now, we believe in one who has both. But truth is more important right now to Jesus than the power part. I mean, he's not doing a power play right now. We'll see the power. Does it take more power to say something kind of sarcastic here, which is what I probably would have done? 
or to stay or, or to become undead. That's more power. I mean, he showed the power. So that's that everyone, everyone, who does that leave out? That's everybody. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everyone. And that we find out in the gospel all over the place. Why are we in Mark? Why are we trying to understand? Because this is the Jesus who, if you don't listen to him, you will not find the truth. He said that pretty well in John 14, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the access point to eternity. And you, you know, whether you believe that or not, it's really up to you, right? I think it's true. A lot of you here do too, but again, if you don't, then I wouldn't follow it. But give me some good reasons. Give me, most of the time, the reasons are not good. And if you seek God, you will find Him. At least that's what He tells us. It's probably why you're here, right? You've already found Him or you're looking for Him. But this is good. It's another way. Why did God have four Gospels? Why not three or one or 17? I don't know. But they're, they're all pretty good, don't you think? Maybe I think I just figured out why God had four Gospels. It gives people like me more time to preach through them. Right? So we're on 36, 34, I don't know, whatever number we are. Takes a while. But here's a good example where you can go in, there's just one little itty-bitty sentence, and you go in John, and it's, it's taken further. You know, the Holy Spirit wants us to do that, I think. And I think Pilate's amazed at his silence about, he's not, he's not, he just said all this stuff, but he's not, he's not giving any defense. He could have said, I never said I was going to take over the world. Not the way you're thinking. But he doesn't say that. It's interesting. So then we get uh, Pilate's decision. Now at the feast, uh, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they ask. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he, asked, he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Probably sarcastic. Um, for he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. You can imagine the chief priest probably didn't like hearing that. We know they didn't like putting it above the cross. We find that later in Matthew. But, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to him, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, crucify him. And Pilate said to him, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Interesting, isn't it? We get a little bit more depth when you get to the other Gospels. This gives you the, the main thing, right? Um, here's an example of what I talked about earlier. We don't really have any outside evidence that this was this uh, customary uh, tradition of releasing a prison. We don't have a lot of outside evidence for this. So we can say, you know, the Bible is wrong. But be careful with arguments from silence, you know. I mean, it's been right every other time we found stuff, so I think we'll find it eventually that this was something that happened. And why can't we use the Bible as a primary source historically? Seems to be pretty good. It always lines up well. 
Um, now, Barabbas was most likely a zealot. Um, he was a revolutionary. Notice he didn't just, you know, go take some bread. Why do I say that? Because what do we usually call the two guys who are on the other side of Jesus? Thieves. It's not really the best translation. Now, it's a good translation, but we just if you think of somebody who, you know, is a thief, you're like, oh, you know, let them go. In fact, I think that's what they do to all shoplifters now, but that's another discussion. But, um, you know, they're not just taking candy bars here. You know, this, what did he do? Yeah, so they're going to kill a bunch of people in the next day. One of them was going to be Barabbas, um, and he committed murder. Now, we're assuming that the text is not saying he was, you know, that it wasn't true. That's what zealots did. If they got a chance to stick a Roman, they would. Well, they get caught. So what do you think probably the two on each side have done? They're probably in the same league with him. Now, I can't prove that, but I think it's... And you look at the, the text, you look at the Greek, it's like, it, this is insurrectionist. These are not just, you know, people taking, you know, candy from the store. This is people killing people. Um, so, yeah. So that's who they release. <laughs> you know, wow, you know. Uh, Pilate uh, made a calculated risk. Did it work out? <laughs> the, the crowd was planted, it looks like, you know. There, it's not a representative crowd. Um, you know, it looks like verse 9 and 10, and you get more of this. Remember, you, you get a lot more from Luke about Pilate and his wife and all that kind of stuff. Um, it looked like Pilate was assuming that the crowd would want to release Jesus. I mean, he pro maybe he was around when the triumphal entry happened on Sunday. It's like, this guy's pretty popular if I say release him. And what does that do for Pilate? Well, y'all brought me, and I said release him. I did what I could, you know. I washed my hands. He doesn't do that yet, but. He could have done it in another way, right? And he does wash his hands, right? Interesting, you know. But the Jewish leadership uh, plan just didn't allow it. They, 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 they used him, and he, got, he probably knew that afterwards. Um, but remember, even though evil men with evil intentions falsely accused, tried, and killed Jesus, God is still in charge of this plan. And Jesus says this to Pilate in the conversation. Pilate says, don't you know I have the power to either kill you or release you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it has been given to you from above. That's, he's in charge, you know. His time has come to do it, but he lets evil people take care of it. That's kind of the way the sovereign God works, right? God knows all, sees all, but he lets you have free choices and uses those to his own, own end. I always said Jesus is the smartest person that ever lived, but if you didn't know this, God's a lot smarter than you are. So I would listen to him. He probably, I, don't you, I do that in prayer sometimes. It's like, you know, <laughs> the Bears haven't won for a long time. I mean, my prayers are really important. I don't know if you knew that, but real deep. Um, but no, there are times, you know, really important things. You know, we want somebody to be healed. We want somebody to believe in Jesus. You know, these are good, good prayers. And then we, sometimes I'll say, I don't think you're seeing it clearly, God. W wait a minute, I, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry, yes, you're seeing it clearly. Maybe I'm not seeing it clearly. 
but I still don't like it. And the kids keep persisting. You know, that's fine. And hopefully that'll, that'll happen. But what God's still in charge of all this. And it's hard sometimes when you go through tough times. You have to think about the disciples here. Does it look like God's in charge? Jesus is arrested. At this point, they're probably thinking, well, he's going to get let loose, right? But then you get this. This is just kind of an aside. We'll just hit this real quick. Um, Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has created, has committed the greater sin. People ask, are there sins that are worse than others? Well, it depends on what you mean by that. If it comes to what separates you from God, they're all equal. But when it comes to what your responsibility is, there is a difference. These guys should have known better. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the Messiah was supposed to come. They're supposed to be following the very Yahweh that Jesus is. So it's a greater sin. Pilate's just a useful idiot here. He doesn't, you know, he's just a Roman. I mean, if you want to write a story, maybe he did believe it later. I don't know. You know, we have a lot more. He's a, he's a more three-dimensional character than we give him credit for sometimes. Although there's not a lot of baby Pontius Pilots out there, so his namesake didn't go very far. But it seems like he's still getting some measure, trying to get some measure of justice, but his questions about, you know, Jesus trying to defend himself, these go unanswered. And the planted, planted crowd does its job, and it looks like in verse 15, it's a really good verse in a couple of ways. It looks like his main motive is not justice, but avoiding political unrest. Um, he was hoping to maybe do a little both. <laughs> uh, but look at that first part of verse 15. Be careful with this in your own life. Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd. Who are you trying to please? In our culture, you're going to be called a lot of names if you follow the biblical truth that Jesus puts out, especially today. Um, and I don't like being called names any more than anybody else does. And I'm not saying, well, let's be strong and get the name calling going, bring it on. No, I, I'm not saying that. But again, who are you trying to please? Who's your audience? Are you trying to please God or are you trying to please man? It's really cool when you have friends that you can do both. That's what the church is for, right? But Pilate was trying to please the crowd. Don't do the same thing. Unless the crowd's also trying to please God, right? Mark 15, 14 is expanded in John. And you all, I know you all like an assignment, so you can go read John 19 this afternoon while you're... And don't tell me you don't have time. That's just a bunch of baloney. It's only seven verses. The flogging, okay, verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloth and twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put on his own clothes and they led him out to crucify him. So we get this flogging, um, too. Uh, it's brutal. If we go back, we do have a lot of outside sources about what this looks like. It looks like, again, in other Gospels that in Matthew 27, Pilate's kind of thinking, if I have him flogged, then they'll say, oh, man, this is enough. Let him go. That didn't even work. 
So Pilate comes off, I'm not excusing Pilate, but he does, he's not just a one-dimensional evil guy. Um, he's no Voldemort, you know, to <laughs> bring in the, the he, he's, he's got some soul there, whether he believed later, uh, who knows. Um, now, flogging doesn't necessarily precede Roman execution. Uh, it would have been done by the Roman guards, uh, but uh, if you want a good, uh, a pretty good rendition of that, you can watch the Passion movie. Uh, disclaimer, it's not fun to watch if you haven't watched. Uh, that came out, oh, 15, some 20 years ago in there. Uh, the Mel Gibson one. Uh, that one's pretty bad. It's, it's, it's pretty bad there. Uh, but I do caution you, don't watch that. Uh, don't watch it thinking that Jesus had to hurt more for it to save us more. I don't think that's the point. Um, uh, the point is that he went through a lot, I think. Um, it in flogging and crucifixion served as a deterrent. I've heard that out there today that the, you know, the punishment isn't a deterrent. I don't know what world you live in when you say that, not the one I live in. Um, I remember as a little kid in kindergarten after that third fight and getting spanked, I quit. And the spankings quit, which was cool. I thought it was a deterrent. Maybe I was just a stupid five-year-old, but that was, that's uh, the way it goes. It is a deterrent. Um, and you see that in some of the Jesus films where people are walking and they're seeing people crucified along the side of the road. It tends to be a deterrent. So they, they give, he keeps giving chances. It doesn't happen um, we don't know how many people are mocking him here. I mean, a battalion of 600 soldiers that probably weren't all doing it. Uh, but they, they take the crown off. But you, you get to uh, Psalm 22, which is almost exactly what happened. And, and oh my gosh, can I give you two assignments? Is there going to be a test, you're asking, right? Yeah. Psalm 22, at least read the first 9, 10 verses. But get to the end because it gets better. Um, but everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads at me. You know, all this stuff kind of happens. They divide my clothes. They pierce my hands. This sounds very much like what Jesus is going through. Now, some of these very soldiers may have eventually believed. And you go down to verse 39. Surely this is the Son of God, a centurion says. And though they all mockingly kneeled before him, Philippians 2 tells us that everybody, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And to finish up, Mark uses in, in verse 15, he uses, he, he's looking at Isaiah 53, which is another, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 are your two best texts to show Jesus suffering as a Messiah. And he says, you know, they handed him over. Well, he handed over his soul to death and he handed over the sins of many. It's, it's like, I almost wonder if Mark's not using that word because of that. So what we see here is the strong of the world. It looks like Jesus is just losing. He's losing to the Jewish leaders. He's losing to Rome. They thought they were in charge of Jesus' fate, but he was in charge. And we have to think about that. The strong and the powerful today think they're in charge. Because if you get rid of the truth, all you have left is power. But we believe in the one who has both truth and power. And he's the one that has all authority in heaven and earth. And remember, this cross he ends up going to, 
It didn't do that. It didn't do him any good, but it does a lot for you. Let us pray. Father, as we uh, look in these texts, it's hard sometimes to even imagine what Jesus went through. Uh, it's one thing to get crucified. It's another thing to be crucified when you could avoid it if you wanted to. Uh, no greater love is this, as we say. We do thank you for that. I pray for each one here to continue to want to know you better through your word, by the power of your spirit. May we always, always pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.